0: Now, I'm reading from Romans 8, 9 to 11, page 862 in the Pew Bibles. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. I feel his presence. (laughs) Um, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. In Galatians 5, 16 to 26, page 893 on your pew Bibles. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, (coughs) quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. (coughs) But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. This Andrews
1: is God's word. It's great for anyone joining on podcast or YouTube. Uh, Welcome to St. Andrews. Everyone had a a rough night's sleep? Well, that's been me last night. Uh, You know, so you had that that slightly groggy feeling. You you have a really horrible sleep. That is me right now. So I'm going to pray for me so that I'll be nice and clear because that'll be good for you. Uh, Lord, I just pray that um, in the midst of uh, lack of sleep with just stuff going on at home, I pray that Lord, here right now, I would be your vessel, that your spirit would flow through me that what I would say would be pleasing in your sight, clear, concise, uh, and that, Lord, that your word, this is not about uh, eloquent speaking, it's just really about your word convicting and encouraging, being let loose in our hearts, in my heart and on those listening. So come, Holy Spirit, do whatever it takes to pierce our hearts that are often distracted, uh, conflicted, Uh, And that, Lord, that we would be transformed today by your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. We always always get a few visitors uh, checking us out, which is awesome. So if you're a visitor, welcome to our ongoing series of Romans. Uh, We just pick a book of the Bible, we do passage by passage, look at the whole of God's word. And the reason we do that is hopefully God's word speaks, not me just picking a hobby horse. So, and it's a bit of a refresher, in the Church of Rome, there existed two groups. So one group, that was these were people that were coming along to the church in Rome at, you know, AD 60 or 70. They were uh, pagan background believers. They were uh, Romans, uh, and they had encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of them, not necessarily all of them, but some of them would have had hedonistic, pleasure-seeking backgrounds. Not all of them. There were some Stoic uh, philosophies going on in the ancient Roman world, but there was a lot of hell-raising pagans. Uh, and you read the ancient history books, that comes out. So the standards of the the Ten Commandments, there was a lot of those people who'd come to faith, and their previous life, they were doing all the stuff on the the bad boys and bad girl list. And then in the church, there was also many Jewish background believers. They had grown up going to Sunday school, doing all the religious stuff. They knew the Ten Commandments. They could recite it. But of course, they were hypocritical legalists. The very bad things they would judge the, the bad people, they would do themselves or secretly covet it. And so the Roman in Romans, the opening, challenge, cha- opening chapter challenges both groups. It challenges the hedonists, the lawless hedonists, the Christian faith challenges the hedonists by saying that the very things that they, that they were seeking pleasure and thought they would get meaning and things that they desired, those very things would enslave them. And actually one of the results when you give yourself over is God will harden your heart and you'll be going like in a downward spiral to more and more of it. And the end result is eternal death. But the Christian faith also challenged, and you know this you know from all those opening chapters, the religious legalists, the, the religious church attenders, who think that they can keep God's law in their own strength. They think they're okay, they think they're good, they think they're making it in their own strength and merits. And so Jesus came to save both the pagan hedonists out there, and because God is really, really merciful, he also came to save the religious law-keeping hypocrites, someone possibly a little bit like me. And so then God goes after both people. And so then the question comes is, well, what about after we've given our life to Christ, if we don't have to keep all this moral law at our own strength, do we keep the law? And the answer is yes. And the, the, those, for those who are saved, for those who have put their trust in Christ, the key difference between them, one key difference between them and religious, law-keeping, external people, is the Holy Spirit. It is decisive in the role. So this is Paul talking about uh, a little bit. I've worked harder than any of the other apostles. That's like, oh, all, it's good works. But wait, yet it was not. I, but God, who was working through me by His grace, I got nothing to boast about except the cross of Christ and the work of the Spirit, says Paul. All right. So the key difference between a religious legalist and a true Christian is the Holy Spirit. Now, you—and this is really good to know—because I'm not suggesting there'll be any religious legalists out there in the congregation. Lord knows where your heart's at, but in churches around the nation, there are plenty of religious legalists out there. Right. it fair to say. Right. And so one of the differences. All right, if you come along, if you're a spirit filled Christian, is when you encounter a legalist, they often leave you condemned, judged. You often would leave the church service leading worse than when you arrived. Uh, and, and there's a sense of pride. I've made it, but you know, you, you riff raff out there. You know, I don't know how you're going on. since so the comparisons, a whole bunch of stuff, and, and often they're, they're often bound, and there's just a total lack of joy. And so, you know, um, it, was, it was a person who was just, who came in, who just actually just encountered Jesus Christ and been saved. And they were full of joy and they said, oh, I'm just so excited, I've met Jesus Christ. And there was an elder there, he said, well, you didn't meet him here, so keep, get rid of that smile. That was a, like a person who come to Christ in the UK. And so, and that's, that's, what, that's what a legalistic, joy-killing spirit would do. But for those who've encountered Jesus Christ, there just comes an authenticity, a joy, a peace. And generally, if, if an authentic Christian challenges you, it's in a spirit of gentleness in accordance with Scripture on a particular thing. It's conviction, not condemnation. And this is sort of the stuff that the Holy Spirit does. Right? So the sad reality, though, of course, is hedonists, those who have lived a life outside of Christ, can easily come in. And because of this past life of sin, they can easily fall prey to legalism. And Galatians, the whole book on that, is dealing with that. Where law comes in, rule keeping, religious stuff comes in, and kills what was an incredible work of the Spirit in the life of people who have come to faith. So why have I said this morning? Because the Holy Spirit is decisive. It is the defining factor in a true Christian. This is not my opinion. This is actually God's Word's opinion. And it's not an opinion, it's a fact when God would say say something. And this is what it says, the heart of this morning's passage. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature, right? You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them, do not belong to Him at all. Now, what it's aiming to do there is to have me... When I'm reading these passages, the Bible's really inconvenient at times, and it comes across and it hits me and I was like, Alistair, do you have the Holy Spirit in you? That's what it's aiming to get me to do. Who's had those, so when you read those passages, you go, and it feels like your Bible's confronting you. Yeah. It's like, like, I'm a minister, I go to church lots. That's not the question. Do you have the Holy Spirit, Alistair? And if you don't, you don't belong to him at all. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable, join the club. It makes me feel uncomfortable when you read this stuff. It makes you examine... All right? about what is actually going on in your heart. So it's really clear. Right? So true Christians have the Holy Spirit. In. It gives them a certainty and knowledge of God's love in their life. In the first service, I had uh, this a lovely person. I won't say their name, but they came up to me and they said, they said to me, Alistair, I, I remember this was this person who was fading. She was 91 years old. She'd been to church her whole life. And she said to me these words, Have I been a fake Christian my entire life? Has everything I've done not matter? He said, "I." He said, "I didn't know what to say." To, just you know, sometimes you don't know what to say just in that moment. I, well, well, do you have assurance? I didn't know what to say. The Holy Spirit is aims to give assurance that we are the children of God. You don't have to go to church for 50, 60, 70 years doing religion. Why would you do that? <laughs> uh, I don't understand why people would do that ever, but people do. We should know we're children of God, and it's the role of the Holy Spirit. And so, in the Alpha Course. Uh, Nicky Gumbel, uh, he gives the whole experiences of knowing God differs. But he gives this analogy about how we can know we have the Holy Spirit in us. And I want to play it. It's two minutes long.
2: And what the New Testament says is that we can know that we're a Christian. It's put like this. In John's gospel, to all who received him, that's to all who received Jesus, to those who believed, in other words, those who had faith in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What St. John is saying there is this is the, the closest possible intimate relationship of love. It's like a child and a parent. In other places, it's talked about like like a lover or like a friend. And sometimes the New Testament even uses the analogy of a husband and wife. It's that close, an intimate relationship. Now, if you are married, you know that you're married. If you're a Christian, you can know that you're a Christian. At the end of the course, we have a questionnaire, and I'm so grateful for people for how how honest they are in their feedback. At the end of one course, we asked this question, would you have called yourself a Christian at the beginning of Alpha? One person wrote this, yes, but without any real experience of a relationship with God. Another person wrote, sort of. Another person wrote, inadvertent commas. Another person wrote, not sure. Another ish. Another yes, though looking back, possibly no. Now, you know if you're in a relationship. Supposing you said to to my wife, Pippa, Pips, are you married? And she said, yes, but without any real experience of a relationship, (laughs) Or, or sort of, or in inverted commas, or not sure, or ish. Or, yes, they're looking back, possibly no. (laughs) God wants you to know. Uh, St. John writes this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life.
1: So while the experiences may differ from believer to believer, the Holy Spirit gives the experience and certainty of being a child of God. Right. So as mentioned last week, the Christian faith is not to be understood as an ideology. It's not a set of head beliefs. It's not a do-gooders club. It's not a judgment club. It is a work of the Spirit in the life of the person. And that what results from that is a miracle. It is from dead to life. All right, so what does it mean uh, to have the Holy Spirit? Well, I, I think that would mean true Christians are no longer controlled by their sinful nature, but a control which means under the sway of, under the influence of, a desire to please the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's a battle. We won't fully get there in this life. I don't want to oversell what, you know, the Bible doesn't oversell it, and so neither do I. So I'll read that passage, and we've already had a look at some Romans passages on this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So the two forces are constantly fighting each other. And isn't that reality? You guys know this, right? That is the reality of a Christian's life. It is a constant battle. I know, have children, have teenage kids, have a husband, have a wife, have a work colleague, have a parent. You name the situation. It is. I mean, I'm sure I could live. I've thought. I said sometimes, Lord, I could live a pretty good moral life as long as I wasn't surrounded by people around me all the time. that just get on my nerves, right? But when they get, it brings it out, Alright. So, uh, having a look at this passage in in Galatians, as uh, I'm just personalising it here, Alright, I am no longer controlled by my sinful nature. All right? I'm not, you know, this, this is challenging stuff. This is what it's this is what it's getting to me to say. I'm like, this is true, right? I am controlled by the Spirit, if indeed I have the Spirit of God living in me. And I need to remember, Alistair, that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Do you see the challenge and the conviction when I say that in the personal? I feel convicted just reading that I'm up here. I'm like, well, sometimes I feel I'm under the control of my simple nature, being honest. Other times it is a battle going on. But actually it's a decisive factor. And what's growing in my life? So what would be the results? If you're under the sway of the Spirit, if you're decisively influenced, and the Holy Spirit is in you, and you're growing the fruits, then what would be the results that we go Even though there may not be perfect consistency, well, we get to see this amazing list of fruits in the Galatians. Now, there may be other fruits of the Spirit not mentioned in the Galatians list, but the Galatians list is the best text in the New Testament naming the key fruits. So just... A fruit is this picture of imagine my life a tree. The Holy Spirit has come in and planted in my life, and outgrows these fruits, outgrows these things in my life, which should be evident, scary as I say it, to you out there, and above all, evident to God. And so this is uh, the passage here. Um, uh, but this, this Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Remember, this is not by human works. Don't think. That, don't look at this text. You're a legalist. Or I've got to do this. This is the work of what God does in our lives. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ and we repent of our sins and we cry out, Lord, fill me. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified him there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. What that nailing means is that we still have those desires that we had before, but we want God more. We want to please Him more. And there's a, it's a change that's not brought out of fear or legalism or social constraints or teaching. It is brought by God's heart in our lives. And when we fail Him, we grieve Him. And we feel that grief. We feel that cutting. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. And if you've got that experience, that is the Holy Spirit. And if you don't, may I suggest it's a great time to ask, Lord, do I know you? Or am I a fake Christian this morning? Right? It's not, I'm not, I don't know where you're at. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the best, always. You know, Paul writes the saints and thing. I'm assuming all that you all know the Lord. But each of you need to ask, is this coming out? So I want to hone in on this fruit here in relation to the way that Christians relate to each other. I was like, I know that you, did you read the Bible passage out before and at the end of the, the time? It was good. It was just, I was like, wow, the Holy Spirit's connecting these Bible verses for my sermon. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> uh, and so she's reading about the loving one another. And that's what we're going to hone in on this particular uh, the fruit is that, and I, I want to hone in on this because Jesus says that in the season before his return, he makes some promises about what's going to happen in Christians among us right and among churches around the world he says that our love for each other look around have a look around look around now <laughs> your love for each other is going to grow cold there's going to be a battle for it that you can be offended with one another you know start to thing that the Synanes ain't eh, such a great church and the people aren't here aren't so wonderful that this stuff will rise up and that there'll be a lawless spirit that you just really don't want to do what God wants to do And you won't love righteousness. And there's a whole theory of things. And this arises within the church. And so being offense resistant, growing a white hot spirit given love for one another is the opposite of this. It's a good quality to focus on at any time over the last 2,000 years. And however long it is until Jesus returns. And if we're in the last 50 or 100 years before his return, then this stuff is really important. Right? Really important for me and you to focus on. Because it shows the results of the Spirit's work in our life. Right? And remember, this is not a human work. We don't do this ourselves. It is a work of the, of the Spirit which we cooperate with, which we cultivate. So, right, so the first is love. I'm not going to mention all of the fruits here, just a few of them. Love, one that means, it's, got, it's, an English, it's an abused word in the English language. But when God pours his love into our hearts, our attitude changes. Changes. Once inward looking, we now look to the interests of others. And we find our hearts warm to people we once disregarded, judged, or even despised. So I want to just pause. Is there someone in this church that you judge? Is there someone that you don't want to talk to? Is there someone that you, you struggle to like? Is there someone whose who's views that you just think are just wrong and you're, you're rubbed raw by them? Chance, to, uh, Holy Spirit, is there someone in this, in this place? That does that to me. This is a chance. Say, so Lord, grow me a love. Change my heart. Because this is the work of the Spirit. Christians love their enemies. People have treated them cruelly or horribly. Right? We, we don't put ourselves in a position we're constantly victimized. But there should be a growing love for, for our enemies. Peace. One of the qualities of the fruit is peace. We strive to work for the peace of the church. And peace in every relationship. In as much as it's up to us. Scott Hubbard says, we ask forgiveness first even when the majority of the fault lies with the other person. Oh, that, that, that is so convicting for me. This is one of my really bad things. I want the other person to say sorry first. Sometimes I'm a cat I'm like, but she did most of it. This is my internal dialogue. Is anyone else wanting the apology first from the other person? Oh, thank you, I'm not so bad. We're all bad together. Well, I tell you, the work of the Spirit is that we make the first step. God did not wait until I responded. He ran to me first. And a work of the Spirit is we're willing to hunt and seek forgiveness. We're the first to make a move, right? We don't harden our heart to those who for whom we think, actually, I've got some fault here. I need to say sorry, right? We renounce, this thing, Scott Hubbard continues, we renounce unwarranted suspicions, choosing rather to assume the best in people. We'd hoard or gossip and instead honor our brothers and sisters behind their backs. And when we must engage in conflict, we aim for restoration so we may live in peace. And there's patience or long suffering, as I think the old King James puts it, we suffer a long time with someone. I just I think that's so accurate. <laughs> the ability to suffer a long time. Right? It's an inner spiritual strength that enables us to receive offence full in the face, then look right over it. Patient people are like God. We're slow to anger. Really slow to anger even when confronted with severe and repeated provocation. And patience leads to kindness. It's one thing to receive an offense and quietly walk it away, but there's another to receive the offense, the hurt and the anger, and you feel the whole weight of it, and it's stirring in your heart, and you have the self-control, the patience, the love, and you refashion it in your, in your heart, and then you, the anger and offense is coming. You send that out as kindness. That is a work of the Spirit. Now, I just want to be honest. I'm sure that there are non-Christians out there who can do some of that stuff, right? So I'm sure there could be a non-Christian out there. Some non-Christian, I just look at some non-Christians in my life and think, man, they're just better than me. I've been working the Holy Spirit. I'm just worse than them. Lord, where's this fruit in my life? Right, so there's some amazing people out there. So there could be a non-Christian who has a business with millions of dollars, and their business partner rips them off. They lose their entire business. They're bankrupt. And there they go home, and they forgive the person that's destroyed their whole life, and then they think, oh, how can I bless the person who's destroyed my entire life? Well, there could be a non-Christian that does that. But what I will say for me is I can't do that on my own. Only When I look at the stuff that's gone on, the hurts I've received in my life, only the living Lord can turn my anger, bitterness, and resentment and desire for revenge into praying a blessing onto the one who's hurt me. I can say that for a fact. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Because in the flesh, I do not want to do. And so may I say, as we reflect on our community, these are the fruits of the work of the Spirit. So are we fake Christians or are we real? Am I a fake minister this morning? It's not a work in the flesh. It's not a chance to look at other people. It's a chance for me to look at myself this morning and say, Lord, am I showing these fruits in ever increasing quantities, showing that I'm controlled under the sway of, the decisive influence of the Holy Spirit, even though it is a battle. Now I want to sort of say that in the first, there's been times in church history where there's been revivals and moves of the Spirit. But in the first three centuries, when the church was growing, and it grew from that tiny handful up to the fourth century, about 40 to 50% of the entire Roman Empire had become Christian. Huge, massive change. There was no revival, to the best of my knowledge, that swept a town. What it was, was Christians who went to church, they were baptised in the Spirit, their lives were changed, and they actually reflected those, spirit, those fruits to all their neighbours. And it slowly changed the world. But what's happened in the last hundred years in the Presbyterian church, there's been a loss of confidence in God's Word. There's been a loss of confidence in the Holy Spirit. My mum... She said she heard only one sermon on the Holy Spirit up to a certain period of its life. It was never taught on. The lack of confidence in what God can do. It's not that God is not faithful. It's that many Christians haven't actually read the word believing that this can change and save and transform our society. And so my prayer this morning is that this fruit will be evident in my life that it would grow no matter what comes on my, this current season of life that I'm going, that people would see God and the works of the fruits of my life. They would not see a fake Christian. And that is my prayer for you. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that we would be controlled by you today, under the decisive influence of you, that your spirit would be living in us. And Lord, if there is one person here who's saying, I don't know if I'm actually a Christian this morning. I may have been to church for years or decades, but I don't actually know. Lord, I pray that you would convict them and that you would bring them to a place where they would put their full trust in you, that today would be the day of salvation for them and their lives would never be the same again. Amen. And as